Hey, how you guys doing? Welcome to a Boy His Dream podcast. We're here for another good episode. We have some great men in the house today. You have no idea what we have for you on the bullet point. So I'm going to introduce on my far right. Is it far right or my right? You know, mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to like spike up some joke. You, you, look, be jovial. Smile. It's not that serious. All right. Mm-hmm. On my right hand here is Mr. Paul Velas. And you know what, though? I am privileged to have you in the house today. And uh, I, you have no idea what I am feeling right now, just having you. I, I'm, I'm shaking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm going to quickly introduce him. This man here you see is an American politician. I mean, a good one with a great heart. A good one who believes in making changes that's going to create a positive impact on the people. You know, he was a former superintendent of uh, British. Sports School District, you know, having ran as a CEO of a school district in Philadelphia and uh, Louisiana. I mean, come on, tell me I'm wrong. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> only Democrat, you know, elected for, you know, um, nomination for the you know, governor, the position of governor mm-hmm. of Illinois, and also ran for the office of the superintendent of governor of Illinois. <laughs> Sir. You are amazing. What inspired you to even want to keep going, to wanting more? You know, I mean, you are the perfect example of, of what a real man should be. You know, mm. to, I mean, what inspired you? Well, I come from a family of public servants. There's six veterans in our household. There's uh, four police officers uh, uh, in the, the Vallis family. Uh, my uncle was a police officer. My sons were police officers. And my one son is still a police officer. The other one's a firefighter. My wife was a police officer. Uh, two firefighters in the families. My 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 nephew. Uh, three teachers uh, in the family. So we're we've li- we're lifelong public servants. This is what we do, and we uh, we're uh, we're a family that rises to the challenge. And and I've always been driven by a desire to have an impact and to look for opportunities to have an impact. That's why. I took the uh, uh, I took over as mayor's uh, as Mayor Daly's budget director in 1992 when the city was in financial crisis and I think the murder rate was approaching a thousand. Uh, it's why I uh, took the job of the Chicago Public Schools in '95 when when they were on the verge of uh, a bankruptcy. It's why I went to Philadelphia when the state took over that failing school system, and it's why I went to New Orleans to rebuild schools and. Uh, in um, in New Orleans after the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. And, and it's also why I've done international work in earthquake uh, uh, devastated Haiti and then later on in Chile. Uh, so I, I've always been, my wife calls me a storm ch- ch- chaser, but I've always, uh, I've always sought public service opportunities to make an impact. And I, I'm running for mayor because the city where I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, uh, the grandson of Greek American immigrants, uh, and I, the city I love, uh, is in turmoil. It, it's there's a, it's great crisis. I mean, the crime is out of control. Our our schools are offering fewer and fewer choices. We've had an exodus of of uh, I'm counting almost 130,000 students since I was superintendent. 18 consecutive years, the school district has lost students as as parents, as, as people flee the system and they seek alternatives to their failing neighborhood schools. Paul, and quick question. Where do we rank? So where with that drop? Where do we rank uh, you know, it's nationally? Hard to, it's hard to say where our ranking is. There are a lot of large urban districts that have lost that have lost students, but I don't think they've lost them at a rate that we've mm-hmm. lost them. Just during COVID alone, we lost 40,000 mm-hmm. since 2019, since COVID hit. And they're estimating that um, 
and that um, and that includes an estimated 15,000 fewer students. But, you know, the irony of it is that they're literally um, – they have a record budget and yet – They've they have the lowest enrollment than they've had since uh, since the Germans invaded France in World War One. <laughs> That's 118 years yeah. ago. So at the end of the day, clearly the system's in turmoil. Plus, you know, we live in the highest taxed, highest fined, highest feed city, a uh, big city in the country, mm-hmm. and yet our our. You know, are our streets and neighborhoods any safer? Are our schools any better? And is our infrastructure in top-notch condition? So what are we getting uh, for our tax dollars? So I'm running because I'm a change agent. I'm a problem solver. And the problems of public safety, the problems of quality schools, the problems of, of, uh, of this tax and waste cycle that is driving the middle class, uh, that is destroying the middle class and driving people out of the city, uh, um, I believe there's a pathway for ending those crises, and I, you know, I believe that I'll be able to assemble a team to accomplish just that because these are the type of things that I've been doing all my life. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, and we have a whole lot to discuss in those areas. I'm going to be like asking brief by brief on specific questions that's affecting our community. You know, welcome on the board podcast of a boy on his dream, and on my father. Left here, see me constantly say on the far left, you are near me. You I are know. so I, close I to I me. I like you. And that's exactly what we need to do right here in Chicago, staying too close together and working together as a team, right? Exactly. I want to introduce my man here, my boy, my friend, who has been like working endlessly in the city of Chicago to create a positive impact for our youth. And I want to welcome Nick. How do you say your last name, Palavio? Lomalio. Lomalio. Yeah. See? Sicilian. Again, he's Sicilian. Lomalio, Nick. And again, I like to make everything fun. If you cannot make things fun, that means you're creating a very rigid system. So welcome on board. You, can you tell me a little bit about what you do with your ABCs and why ABC and what gave you, I mean, how did you give birth to that organization and who are your uh, co-players? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's always a pleasure to uh, see you and listen to you. Uh, it's some great insight on the city. So, yes, my name's Nick Lamalio, um, and I was, like Paul, born, raised Chicago, and I'm from the south side of the city. I live in a neighborhood called Beverly. It's about as far southwest as you can go before mm-hmm. you're in the suburbs. Um, so I am a product of the Chicago public school system. Mm-hmm. I went to Sutherland Elementary, which is the local public school uh, in the neighborhood. I ended up graduating, went on to uh, St. Rita High School, which is an all-boys Catholic school down on 79th and Western. And growing up, um, I always wanted to be a teacher. I think uh, teaching is probably one of the most rewarding uh, things anybody can do. I think at the end of the day, regardless if you're formally in a classroom, you're still a teacher. Mm-hmm. If you have kids, you're a teacher. Absolutely. If you have peers that are seeking your advice, your help, friends, family, you're a teacher. So in one way or another, everybody is a teacher. And so I wanted to do that growing up. But when I graduated uh, high school, I ended up getting an internship within a, uh, within a bank. So I work in banking now. And around 2012, I was getting pretty burnt out from mm-hmm. what I was doing. And I realized I wasn't really following my dream. It's very similar to what you have, a boy and his dream. Mm-hmm. And so I started this nonprofit called um, Advice Beyond the Classroom. And so we call it ABC for short. So professional ABCs. And what I realized was, is there is a major gap in skills with this next gen. Now, it's kind of a twofold reason. The first is they're in the middle of a tech revolution. 
So a lot of this next gen, you know, I know we get on them because they're on their phones or they, they're, they're not communicating well in person and written. And the problem is, is they're in the middle of a tech revolution. So there's all this technology coming into the fold. So it's actually diminishing the ability for these kids to interact interpersonally, both socially and in the written and spoken word. So what I realized was, is there's a gap here for these skill sets. And so all we focus on with ABC is what we call the soft skills of life. And a lot of that is, how do you make small talk with somebody? How do you public speak? How do you shake a hand? How do you tie a tie? And then we get into, here's how you write an email. Here's how you follow up. So we're trying to teach them these skill sets. Geometry is covered. French is covered. You've got all these classes that are being taught in the schools, but the soft skills, the important skills, the skills that are actually starting to disappear in the next gen is not there. So we're trying to fill that void, and it satisfies uh, two boxes. I get that's, to teach, and hopefully it makes an impact on the next generation. That's amazing. Thank you, know? you so much. That's so amazing. You know, I'm very, I'm very happy to be here here with you today for you to share about uh, the impact that you guys are creating for our, our children, especially the underprivileged children, right, if, mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm right. Um, welcome aboard. Stay tight. I have a lot of questions for you mm -hmm. here. Um, I'm going to quickly throw this on out here, Mr. Paul. You know, uh, you're a very successful politician, a businessman, um, a family man, a Christian man, and also understand that you have a heart of a lion, and you also have a, a that's pure as gold to want to do good <laughs> in your community. Did you write all this for Did you even fight <laughs> yeah, as a lion? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. So, you know, the city of Chicago mm -hmm. right now is going through a whole, I mean, so many crises, so many issues right now facing our amazing city, and the issue are solvable. All these issues are solvable. And I know that you're a bulldog and ready to solve that issue. Mm -hmm. You know, also Chicago is, operation is about $28 billion. And yet we still have so many issues. And those issues are threatening so many citizens of Chicago. Many people are moving out. Small businesses are dying. Safe, safety and security is on a high rise. Murder cases, gang related division, hate. Oh my God, you gonna you're gonna have a problem in your hands. So if given a chance, I also know that you already announced to run for the office of mayor of Chicago. Mm -hmm. How amazing is that? So if if you are elected. What are you going to do? What is the first problem that you recognize that you're going to do? Because all of the problem right now seems to be very important. In a scale of preference, which would you handle and tackle first? Well, let me just say this. Uh, you know, the mayor has to set the tone, and the mayor cannot be divisive, and the mayor has to be civil, and the mayor has to be respectful because, because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, we're put in the position whether by selection or by default, we, we're viewed as models people are going to look at uh, we're role models whether we and and we've got a choice as to whether or not we want to be good role models and bad role models so the importance of civility is critically important i'll point out that i've been working with legislatures all my life i don't think i ever had a dissenting vote when i was city budget director in days when the city council uh, at from time to time would actually vote against the mayor's budget and mayor daly's budget uh, so, so at the end of the day, you have to, uh, uh, you know, you have to, you have to be civil. But there's three issues that need to be tackled right away. The most important one is public safety. And, and, and let me point out that there's no substitute for changing the conditions mm. that that con that contribute that create an environment uh, uh, that 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 um, in, in which 
in which criminality occurs. So let's mm. face it, you've got to get at those underlying conditions. But let's talk about public safety itself. Um, that's a would, huge, that's a big issue. Uh, you've got to deal with it because the murder rate, uh, and, and l- let me tell you, the violent crime rate has 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 skyrocketed, even across the board. The mayor's talking about a small reduction or in murders and shootings, uh, even though they are still way up from 2019 pre-COVID. What but, percentage do we have of that? We have a number for that? Well, b- violent crime this year, this year alone is up another 26%. Oh, my goodness. But let me tell you what I would do. You know, first of all, the leadership of the Chicago Police Department are absolutely incompetent. And the leadership, the first thing I would do is remove uh, Superintendent Brown and his leadership team. And I would promote and I would recruit leaders from within the department who have the confidence uh, uh, of the rank and file. And I would put them in leadership positions because, because – um, Officers are leaving in record numbers. We are down 2,000 officers. We've lost 1,800 officers the last 18 months alone. We're only replacing about one in four officers. And the reason we're only that, that, that we're even replacing that many is they significantly reduce the standards. So the officers that we're recruiting are not of the caliber of the officers that, that we have or the officers that we used to recruit. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, you've got to bring a new leadership team to change the dynamic. The second thing I would do is, is restore the concept of community policing. We still have a huge police department, probably on a per capita basis, maybe the, the first or the second largest in the country. So so even with the reductions, we there are still officers that we can push to the neighborhoods, restore community policing. And I'm it, not only restore community policing, but do it in a way that puts the police on a work schedule that is not exhausting them. Because right now you have officers working sometimes 10 days, 20 days, sometimes 30 consecutive days without a day off. A lot of times they suddenly get they get noticed that they're they're um, their watch has been extended for four hours, and this is exhausting. We had three officers commit suicide since July. We've had 20 officers commit suicide in, since 2017. So it's a crisis. So what we've got to do is if, if we do that, if we bring in a new leadership team and if we return the officers to a normal schedule and, and, and in effect, return the officers to the beat. So they're working those beats regularly so they know the community and the community knows them. And if we do the third thing, and that is we restore proactive policing. And I'm not talking about stop and frisk. I'm not talking about mass incarcerations. I'm just talking about arresting people mm-hmm. who commit serious crime because we're not. Our arrest rates are down 70 percent. But that also means going after people who are violating the public way, who are robbing and stealing, uh, mm-hmm. individuals who are, uh, who, are, uh, who are assaulting people. You know, they're individuals who are violating gun laws. I mean, they're the, I mean the, the number of individuals— uh, that uh, that they, w- w- when you have uh, record increases in crime the last uh, since 2019, yet you've got a historic reduction in arrests of 70 percent. You know your public safety is going in the opposite direction. So if you did those three things, I'm and, and you stop penalizing the officers for proactive policing. I'm convinced that I would be able to stop the exodus of officers, slow the exodus, convince the officers not to leave. And, you know, I helped, the off- I helped negotiate an eight-year collective bargaining agreement mm-hmm. for the rank-and-file police, which means the officers know me. They're familiar with me. They have confidence in me. But I'll be able to slow the exodus, and I think we'll be able to attract a larger, better pull of replacement officers, so we'll be able to increase our ranks. And because right now, the money we're paying in overtime— uh, uh, you know, um, when you don't fill vacancies, the city saves money. Some people say the city doesn't 
uh, fill those vacancies because it's a real subtle way of balancing the budget. But the, the city is spending so much money in overtime at the end of the day. It's better to have enough cops than overworked police officers who are exhausted and, mm-hmm. and, and, and who are losing their effectiveness because they are simply overwhelmed by the workload. So I'm convinced that I can do this and I can do this quickly and we can right the ship, so to speak, mm-hmm. and we can increase the effectiveness of the police department and we can begin to restore public safety to all the communities, just mm-hmm. not the downtown, mm-hmm. but all the communities in of community. Chicago. Totally yeah. appreciate that. That's huge. You know, to add to that, you know, public safety is a major problem right now that they face in the city of Chicago. No one is safe. Everyone doesn't face safe. And followed by racism and division and, of course, <laughs> you know, justice is justice issue, unfair justice. But my question is there. You are saying that do not defund the police instead overhaul the system and make it function so that we can have safety and security restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what well, what I'm talking about is using the same amount of money that we have and using it more effectively. And and, and again, when you don't fill, uh, you know, when you have 2,000 fewer police positions, but you're spending 150, 160, 170, 180 million dollars in overtime, it's not like you're saving anything. You're still paying more because as crime intensifies, the the the, the dwindling number of police have to work more hours and they get paid overtime, time and a half, et cetera. So at the end of the day, it's not a finance issue. This is not about, well, we're going to invest more money in the police. This is about we're going to spend that police budget, but we're going to use it in a way that allows us to hire enough police officers dispatch them to the community so that every beat is covered with an officer that's familiar with the community and vice versa, and that those officers are on humane work schedules, so we're not exhausting them. They are not losing their morale. You know, they are not basically, uh, you know, they're, uh, they are engaged. They're engaged in proactive policing, getting criminals, people who violate the law off the street. It, it, this is not a finance issue. This is a management issue. The incompetency in this administration is really management incompetency, and there's no more ineffective, there's no more incompetent uh, leadership uh, in the city than the current leadership of the Chicago Police Department. And, and, and until we recognize that and make a move, we're not going to improve things. I appreciate that. Thank you for that input. One more question before I come to you, Nick. Mr. Paul, all right, you said you are a fixer, you're a problem solver. You see problems, you want to solve them, and you've succeeded in doing that over a year, over time. However, there's something that you never mentioned. There is a distrust and mistrust among the society to the police department. How can you fix that? Because right now, nobody wants them. The vast majority of people do not trust them. How can you build that trust? How can you restore that trust? What do you have for that, briefly? Well, just a couple of things. Well, well you know, the, uh, the consent decree did a survey, the consent decree monitors. And, 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 and the interesting thing is uh, um, what the, the survey suggested was not that the police— that the public is afraid of the police, but the public is afraid that the police can't protect them. Because when you don't have beat officers that they know or that they're familiar with, they don't feel protected. When you don't have a witness protection program, any way to protect those witnesses, uh, you know, they, their distrust for the police is, 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 is really focused on their feeling that the police cannot protect them. There were 58 mass shootings in Chicago last year, and uh, I only got the clearance rates or the arrest rates made through August. There were 58 total. We led the nation in mass shootings. We had 9% of the mass shootings. Four more people shot at a given time. And I think the police had only made like one arrest. And why is that? Because people are afraid to come forward. So so what I would do by re- returning to community policing where you have beat cops 
who are known to the community and who know the community who can interact and they know them by name, they know them by badge number, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you do that and then you create a witness protection program and the way I would do that is not only having community policing with B cops important to witness protection, but I would do what other mayors have done is I would invite retired police officers with investigatory experience to return. I would extend their health care, retiree health care to incentivize them to come back. And I would hire hundreds and hundreds of officers to return and work in the detectives division to work serious crime cases and to provide for the protection of witnesses. If you did those couple things, if you did those couple things, that would be, you know, that would be the type of, uh, that would help restore the confidence that the community has uh, in the police department. Look, you've got to implement the consent decree. The, a lot of what the consent decree at, is about is training, is about staffing ratios, is about having one sergeant for anyone who's in the military, having one sergeant for every like 10 officers, as opposed to like one sergeant for every 30 officers, you know, having the proper supervision and training. All that stuff needs to be done. But there's no substitution for community policing with a with police officers present in the community, known to the community, there's no substitution for having a really effective program of protecting witnesses and holding those severely in, uh, uh, accountable, the, 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 the severest penalties for anyone who would threaten or intimidate a witness, or for that matter, threaten or, or assault a police officer. And I think those are basic things that would help that that would help rebuild the trust with the police department. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right. Wow. Where does that leave, leave us? We, Real quick, uh, to that point, though, so mm -hmm. you see what Florida's doing, DeSantis. They're going in and they're offering mortgage assistance. I don't know if you saw what they came out with teachers. If you're a vet and you have any type of teaching experience, the question is, Paul, is it too little too late to try to draw people back into the police oh, no, force? Do you think there's still going to be support? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm convinced once I become mayor, once I promote a new leadership team, I I already have clear ideas of the, of the individuals I would promote in positions of responsibility. I've already been in contact with many Many police officers. You have to understand, my sons are first responders, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it seems that they know every. <laughs> I'm constantly running into police officers or firefighters, first responders, who know my boys. At the end of the day, they they will come back. There's a lot of officers who wanted. I mean, my my oldest son wanted to be a police officer in the Chicago Police Department. Didn't want anything else. He. I don't think he could even get on the testing. He, he couldn't get into the lottery because there were so many people who wanted to be mm -hmm. tested. He eventually became a suburban police officer and then a firefighter mm -hmm. in, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And he's, and even as a combat vet. Uh, so, so you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm I'm confident that 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 I will first of all significantly slow the exodus. So it's just not Stop about recruiting no yeah. officers, but. What if what if very few officers leave and give you an yeah. opportunity? But the same thing that is going to encourage officers not to leave and to stay are the very same things that will attract officers to the police department because it's that brutal schedule. It's that ineffective deployment. It's those brutal work hours. It's that punishing police officers for being proactive. Those are the things that are not only driving the best and the brightest and our most experienced officers to leave and many to transfer to other police districts, not, not retiring, but to transfer to other police districts. But it's also discouraging because it's word of mouth. It's also discouraging people from applying to be a Chicago police officer. So I'm convinced that I would be able to change it overnight. But I, but I also do something else. I'll aggressively recruit on the military basis. You get a lot of diversity through military personnel, mm -hmm. as you know. The, the military was the first one of the first major governmental institutions to integrate. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I remember very few. Most of my NCOs were actually 
were actually minorities, and that's going back 20, 30 years ago. So clearly, uh, th that's a good place to recruit. Uh, a good place to recruit is in other police departments. Since of they're course. stealing from mm -hmm. us, we can steal from them. But also, I opened up 11 military uh, at seven military high schools uh, in the Chicago public schools, and I've opened up four in other states since. I'm opening up a f uh, one more in uh, Arkansas. It's actually a military first responder mm -hmm. school. You have 10,000 kids in ROTC. You can create a pipeline through your ROTC programs. I think 40 high schools have them. And through your, I think the city still has seven or eight military high schools. You can create a pipeline so the next generation of police, firefighters, EMS, e EMTs, nurses, people who, who want to be air traffic controllers, et cetera, can actually come from the communities that they serve. You can create mm -hmm. that pipeline where you begin to, to train them and expose them and to teach them the things, the fundamental things that they need to be effective police officers. You can start doing that in high school, like the ROTC programs, yeah. recruit individuals into the military. You could do take that same approach so that the next generation of police and firefighters, a diversified group of, of individuals could come through uh, the public schools and, and these police and firefighter academies that that we used to have in the 90s uh, and and we had on a very large scale that also invited children who attended private and parochial schools mm -hmm. to participate in. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Well, I'm going to throw the next question to you. Uh, Mr. Paul, probably I appreciate, you know, your contribution to this episode. Thank you. And uh, you're a man who has the solutions to a lot of problems in our city. And uh, we're looking at a culture and value has been altered in our city. Mm -hmm. And our kids are running around because the value system has been polluted severely because of the policies that be changed and revamped that is not actually bringing growth and development of the city. Kids are running around, shoplifting, carjacking, hurting people. They're not being held accountable. All right, what program have you put in place? I mean, I know ABC has a very drastic program that's helping helping our change, helping make a change among our youth. What program have you do you have to help our kids? And how do you motivate these children to get up the street to join your program so that they can be better? How would you reinforce this value that has been ignored over time? Because children are tripping. All the crime being committed right now, major crime are being done by children because they will not be held accountable. And they know that. They have a free ticket now, a freedom to run around wild and threaten the safety and security of our community. What program have you put in place? Because I know when Paul goes in there, he's going he's gonna to change everything. Yeah. So what Absolutely. is the organization doing right now to encourage the student to go up the street? Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at the problem, right? Okay, so we just came out of, uh, you could argue, an unprecedented pandemic, but 1919 Spanish flu is probably the closest correlation. Mm -hmm. So what we've seen is, is there was an entire generation that was effectively robbed of socialization. Mm -hmm. We had to lock down, mm -hmm. we had to shut down, okay? So, Paul, what was the stat? 25,000 kids went off the grid in the Chicago public school system and did not return yeah. after post-pandemic. On paper, 25, 25. But, but they estimate that there could be another 15 or 20 that are simply in the schools in name only, but actually are not attending. Are not attending. So, the, w what is causing this rise in unrest? And it is we are now feeling the effects of what you know we went through via the lockdown and the pandemic and the anxiety and the the, the race racial tension that was taking place. So now we have all these kids in this this very you know kind of impressionable generation. A lot of these kids don't come from great homes. 
So it's not like they're they're just born. There are a lot of them are born into a cycle of poverty, mm-hmm. and now when you lay a lockdown on top of it, where school is actually their best option to get out of the mm-hmm. house, otherwise they are locked in an abusive or a disruptive home. So that's why these kids are now flying out on the streets okay. because there is not a lot of structure, and when the school system, the one safe place where these kids can actually go is now shutting down and closing the doors. It's just gonna exacerbate the problem of unrest. So what we're trying to do again is we're trying to bring these kids in, show them that there's different paths, okay. right? Show them that there's opportunity. And the way we try to do that is via the classroom where we're teaching them, hey, come to class. We're gonna teach you the different, you know, the art of the soft skills that we talk about. Here's how you shake hands. Okay. Here's how you respond if somebody asks mm-hmm. you how you're doing. Oh, so you're restoring those values. We're trying being, to okay. get those values restored okay. because they've been completely wiped away over the last two years. Like respect for others, respect for pro- properties and human are properties. Exactly. People these kids don't even have value. They don't have respect for human beings. They don't have respect for properties. Yeah. They can just they think they can just take it. I'll tell you what the schools could do, too. You know, first of all, you are definitely filling the gap. These social skills are so critically important. It's critically important to survive in the work world. You are obviously making your public sector contributions, but you've made a name for yourself in quite a career at such, such a young age uh, in the private sector. Um, I would do universal work study. Crystal Ray, which uh, for the layman out there is a Jesuit high school that was founded by Father Foley, and there's now 35 Crystal Ray schools. And the kids go to school and they work at the same time. Uh, Now, originally, and and, and they work to help pay their tuition. So they're all in work-study jobs, and it's phenomenally successful. But uh, what I would do with all the schools is I would have every city, every city agency, every city contractor... Uh, every city department, um, um, everything that the mayor controls, businesses that receive those heavy subsidies, the unions that we have contracts with, I would have them all create paid work-study opportunities for our kids. And I would use the money that is normally spent on these irrelevant courses, these irrelevant electives, and I would use the money to provide these paid work-study opportunities. If you did that and you began to introduce children to the work world in a variety of professions, even if they're not planning on being in those professions or that's not something that they aspire to, the mere fact that you're introducing them to the work world, that you're putting them in a work environment where they're surrounded by the most effective work, by the best role models in the community, working men and women, and you're putting money in their pocket and they're earning their first wages, that can be transformational. You Mm. will not only keep kids in school, keep them out of the clutches of the gangs, keep them engaged, keep them in a safe and secure place. But you will you will begin to impart upon them through that work environment those very social skills, those work skills that that you that you're trying to do through your program. So mm-hmm. so there's no reason. So in addition to my radical transformation, not transformation, the restoration of the restoration, police department, mm-hmm. the restoration and the reform mm-hmm. that the that the police department needs, that the police can embrace and, and can enthusiastically support, but also having the schools play a much larger role because. I built 78 school buildings and renovated 350 campuses and built over 100 campus parks. Why are those schools closed at 4 o'clock, 4.30? Why aren't they open on Saturday? Why were a large number of them closed over the summer? Why are they closed on holidays or on um, Why can't those schools become these, like, safe zones and, and, and opportunities for kids not only to get more academic support but enrichment, uh, being involved in enrichment in sports and recreation? And why can't the high schools— 
offer like Crystal Ray, work study for these high school kids to keep them out of the clutches of the gangs, to give them an incentive to stay in school. For many immigrant families, as you well know, mm -hmm. a lot of these times the children are working to generate additional income. Amen. So at the end of the day, this can be, and you can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. I can justify this. This is transformation, that. and you can do this. This is not like the police. It's not a revenue issue. It's a. It's not an, we don't have enough money. It's how you allocate the resources. That's true. And we can bring that to scale. We can literally bring that to scale uh, the first school year, uh, you know, that I'm mayor. So there's no reason why appreciate that will change the dynamic. appreciate that. I think putting all this in place will help promote self-worth of every individual. Absolutely. Once we have self-worth and self-esteem, we can actually treat each other right and do the right thing. And uh, there's no doubt today that we are coming together as one non-separate entity, but we're all different, but we're coming together as one for one common goal, restoring the peace in safety and security in the city of Chicago and helping to do more to promote growth in the city of Chicago so that we all can be united. We want unity. And by doing this, we just highlighted major problems and the solutions to those problems. And I want to say thank you because of time. We're going to cut it short today. I want to say thank you my for pleasure. coming to this program. Thanks for having it's me. It's my privilege. Thank you so much, Thanks, Mr. Nick. And uh, I would like to have you guys back on this show again. So keep hammering problems and the solutions. But don't just only talk about the problem. Show how you're going to solve those problems. That's what the people want to hear. You know, don't fish. Don't give them fish. Teach them how to fish for themselves. Empower people. Strengthen our society so we can do better. So that we can restore the trust that's been that's, the, that's missing. Thank you so much for tuning in to a Born His Dream podcast episode three. I hope you enjoyed all the topics that we discussed today. I'm going to leave you with this: for a community to become effective and sustainable, every high position has to be filled with good quality leadership. Be the change you want to see in order. Have a great day. <laughs>